Hello and welcome. Guess what? This is the first time we're ever going to do it. Welcome to an episode of Your Queer Story, an LGBT podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hobbs. And I am your co-host, Evan Jones. And this is the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism. I know you're not used to hearing that right in the beginning, but I thought we would start this episode off like a proper podcast. Shake it up. Shake it up, because Evan threw me so off in the last episode, (laughs) I had to really shake it up this time. That's right. Yeah, we don't want you to ever know what to expect. You you probably don't. You're like, am I going to get 10 minutes of talking in the beginning of this episode? (laughs) Or are they just going to get right into it? And then are they going to segue into a random conversation for 20 minutes in the middle of it? Probably. But who knows? That's right. We (laughs) we keep it spicy here. Sometimes we jump right into the hard hitting stuff. And sometimes you're just like, shut the fuck up and talk about the topic. They're like, they hit that like fast forward button like (laughs) five times. 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. It's like when you fast forward in porn. And then yep. it goes from like them having a conversation, all of a sudden they're having exactly. anal. And, and you're, you're like, like well, now, how did that? How now, did that happen? Now I missed the whole story plot. <laughs> I wanted. <laughs> you're like, I just wanted to get to the foreplay, and now all of a sudden you're he's coming all over the, the chest. So, um, well, fuck me. Um, that's why you have to listen because you never know what you're gonna get with us. Mm-hmm. Just like a porn episode, yep, exactly. that's what your queer story is. Uh, very and child friendly, of course. Um, no, no. Um, to be fair, every single episode of ours is marked explicit. That's right. Every, we, we are I very was, like, honest about who we are. It, and it was just like e e e e e, and I was like, wow. I will say though that I've as I've been as I've been looking for a job, I've I've created also an advocacy resume, and I put a lot about your queer story on it, and which is fine. But then I, whenever I listen to our episodes, I'm like, wow. I really hope they don't mind the fact that we swear a lot. Well, uh, that's the thing. A couple like co. I had a I have one of my um co. Workers, is that what they're called? Yeah, one of my coworkers. <laughs> the people that you work with, that you co-work with, yes, that's that's what they're called. They're my friend on your Facebook. Your minions, your subjects. I don't know. Go ahead. They're my friend on Facebook, and they shared our video. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I hope they're not friends with like other coworkers who are then gonna like start listening to the podcast and hear me talking about sucking dick and stuff because that's yeah. gonna be real awkward. I'm pretty professional at work, so then they're gonna look at me entirely differently. Oh, anybody? I always was afraid mm-hmm. that people that I work with were gonna listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like I advertise it everywhere else, but at work I'm like podcast. What podcast? Yeah, no, same. I wouldn't. Not. Well, I've also like we're talking about stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I do a podcast at work, but then I like never go into detail. <laughs> I'm like, nope, don't. Listen you can't to find it. it. It's on some. <laughs> yeah, we only host it on our website. Website, which is really weird obscure domain that you'll never end no, up no, on no. yeah um no it's good um which we got a uh, next episode talk about how much money we raised for safe place um <laughs> we got it we got those results coming for you guys too um and we'll have more things coming and um you also can support our patreon to raise money for um our your queer story mentorship program and i know we just that's us segueing right off of that but something that we said as we were talking about co-workers made me think about the money that we raised so mm-hmm. i don't know but yeah join us on patreon i if you would be interested in like weekly life updates for me i can do that it's on just, patreon i just been really saying that you were going to do it and but i haven't. don't i don't feel like my life is that exciting to make a dedicated like five to ten minute video i don't really do that much in my it's life it's about producing content who cares we got to produce content for our patreons because we've been telling them for a year that we're going to give them content and we've been giving them little to no content but you have been supporting the podcast so thank yes. you because without you 
we might not be here today. Exactly. We might not. And Or I, you would still be listening to us in my living room with two <laughs> tables on top of each other and a microphone. True. That's true. We have done a lot with the money, though. And uh, with the Queer Mentorship Program, um, which you can read about it or you can listen to our uh, 2019 year in review. Um, and you can hear about how we're helping uh, young people in conservative states, specifically 18 to 25-year-olds, who are trying to leave like conservative areas and they might lose their entire support system. So and they have no idea how to get out. Exactly. They don't know how to get out. They don't know what to do once they're out. Um, and if you've ever been in that situation, you know what it's like. So that's what uh, a lot of the Patreon funds go to. And then, of course, our regular uh, costs of maintaining a website and a podcast. Absolutely. So. So today's topic came as Evan was doing research for a different project. And by a different project, I mean looking for a job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we felt it was past time we addressed the prevalence of sexual assault and intimate partner violence in the queer community. The most current large-scale studies on the issue were released several years ago and created quite a stir in the media. Yet this was before the Trump administration and the increase in homophobia and transphobia in America. While the studies were alarming when first reported, we can only imagine what would be found today. And so it is even more important that we continue to shed light on the matter. In this mini-sode, we are going to discuss some of the statistics concerning the queer community in relation to sexual, sexual assault and IPV, intimate partner violence, as well as the dynamics surrounding these issues and how we address them. And we do need to start with a big trigger warning. Hopefully you haven't skipped too far ahead. There's a trigger warning. We talk in depth about this issue, so please feel free to check out another one of our episodes. We suggest the most recent Villains of the LGBTQ, Anita Bryant. We got some good feedback on that. Oh, we got a lot of good feedback yeah. on that one. Or perhaps our sports episode, You Can't Win a Championship Without Gays. Either way, don't force yourself to listen to anything that you are not in a safe place or safe space to hear. Um, We will begin by addressing one of the most well-known reports. The the 2010 Center for Disease and Control, CDC, National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey. Before we dive in, it is important to understand some of the lingo used in discussing this topic. First, as we have stated... IPV stands for intimate partner violence, and it doesn't have to be a current partner. This also covers ex-partners or spouses. The official definition is any behavior within an intimate relationship that causes physical, psychological, or sexual harm to those in the relationship. Yes, it does not have to be physical, which includes acts of physical aggression, sexual coercion, psychological abuse, and controlling behaviors. This can mean a variety of things. In addition to physical abuse and sexual violence, this also covers stalking, harassment, and financial violence. Financial violence is controlling or withholding a person's income or preventing their ability to earn an income. Yeah, that's a huge part of sexual violence or any kind of uh, domestic violence in general that people overlook. Like mm-hmm. the the fact that someone cannot leave you because they don't have any financial stability. Right. Like, again, why didn't you just leave them? Because they didn't have a place to sleep. They yeah, where have, was I going to fucking go? Exactly. They had all the money. Exactly. How was I going to eat? How If you have children, how are my children going to be able to feed mm-hmm. themselves? What are we going to wear? This idea of like, just leave them is, is crap. When you have like, this person controls you, like financially. Financial violence is a huge reason that people don't leave their partners. Um, I saw that all the time in the cult too. Like there was a, a lot of domestic yeah, violence. Exactly. But the biggest thing was that they would control the purse strings and you couldn't leave. It is also understand. It is also important to understand the scope of the words sexual violence. This covers any type of unwanted sexual conduct, 
ranging from sexist attitudes and actions to rape and murder. Within this are several terms which are often interchanged but yet have distinct differences. These are sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape, and sexual harassment. It is important to understand these differences when advocating for survivors of sexual violence. This way we can aid victims in finding the proper justice for the crime committed against them. It also helps in directing survivors to find the help they need. Furthermore, this allows every victim of sexual violence to feel that they have a voice which speaks their full truth. And um, before we get into this, again, we're going to mention and talk in a little bit in depth about rape and what it means. So if that is a trigger word for you, I would uh, check out. Yep. Um, or turn the volume down and keep the episode playing so we still get that download. That's awesome. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Paul. <laughs> Do what is best for you. Not It's not about us. Go ahead. The online academic journal, The Conversation, details the differences between the four terms. We took some of their debt. We took some of their descriptions from an article that breaks down the terminology and linked the page on our published script. The article was written by three scholars who have spent a decade researching the topic. Their descriptions are as such. Sexual abuse. Used when referring to minors under the legal age of consent. Sexual abuse can include many different things, from touching a victim in a sexual manner to forcing a victim to touch the perpetrator in a sexual way to making a victim look at sexual body parts or watch sexual activity. Sexual abuse of a child is a criminal act. Can I read the next one? Rape. Redefined by the FBI in 2012, the legal definition now states penetration, no matter how slight, of the vagina or anus with any body part or object or oral penetration by a sex organ of another person without the consent of the victim. The definition was redefined to remove gender and thus some of the stereotypes and misconceptions surrounding rape. There are also no defenses for spouses or partners as there were in the past, which means individuals are able to better report IPV. So um, this was a big deal when they redefined it because for so long, like rape was just like beat force, forcefully penetrating a person. But, you mm-hmm. know, if you were a spouse, you couldn't be. Uh, I think it was in 93 they changed They, they changed for the spouse for the where spouse, spouses yeah. could be. But this removes it all. Like the men had a hard time re, uh, mm-hmm. reporting rape because it was so gendered. Um, just in general, like this really gave a, um, a broad term to what it meant to be raped. And adding the consent clause was a huge part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Sexual assault. This phrase is used often because it it is also an umbrella term. Like sexual violence, it means a variety of traumas, such as using false promises, insistent pressure, abusive comments, or or reputational threats to coerce sex acts. It can encompass non-contact acts like catcalls and whistles, which can make women feel objectified and victimized. It includes non-consensual electronic sharing of explicit images, exposure of genitals, and surreptitious surreptitious viewing of others naked or during sex. The term also overlaps with rape, which can be a trigger word for some survivors. Others find the hard verbiage empowering. Because of this, if you are not a rape survivor, it is best to stick with the umbrella term when discussing sexual assault. Yeah, so like I said, like, you know, um, I've heard people that are in the community that they want to use the R word because it like really makes them feel empowered and others who say, you know, um, that, that, that word is too hard for me, Mm -hmm. but yeah. But as we see sexual assault, it's a very broad term. So this is anything. So when someone says they're sexually assaulted, they can mean a variety of things. Um, 
But it all Which, f- by the way, in Texas, it is now illegal to send an unsolicited dick pic. Like, that's really? actually a protected thing now, which I think should 100%. Like, oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's the same thing as if you showed someone your junk on the street. The same exact thing. If you walk down the street and you flash someone, that's illegal. But you can just have someone, like, send a pic to someone. Fuck off. Nobody wants to see your junk unless they ask for it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which I have, we have a friend, a mutual friend who's always very good at that. She's always like, can I send you an explicit picture at Katie? I can just say Katie. She doesn't give a fuck. Um, not my sister, Katie, our friend Katie, (laughs) who's like, can I send you an explicit picture? And I'm like, yes, please do. It's not of her. It's always of like other things because she does uh, sexual health. Mm -hmm. Sexual harassment. This is the broadest term of all, but is usually used in reference to professional settings and relationships. The classic sleep with me or you're fired scenario is a perfect example of sexual coercion. It is the most stereotypical form of sexual harassment, but also the rapiest or the rarest. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. (laughs) But also the rarest. A second and more common form of sexual harassment. I was like, why did these scientists put that in there? That's not a very scientific term. And that is not what they said. A second and more common form of sexual harassment is unwanted sexual attention. Unwanted touching, hugging, stroking, kissing, relentless pressure for dates or sexual behavior. Note that romantic and sexual overtures come in many varieties at work. Not all of them are harassing. Uh, To constitute unlawful sexual harassment, the sexual advances must be unwelcome and unpleasant to the recipient. They must be sufficiently severe or pervasive to create an unabusive working environment, according to the Supreme Court. Included in sexual harassment is gender harassment. This is conduct that this part... This this part disparages. <laughs> this is conduct that disparages people based on gender, but implies no sexual interest. Gender harassment can include crude sexual terms and images. For example, degrading comments about bodies or sexual activities, graffiti, calling women cunts or men's or men pussies. More often than not, though, it is purely sexist, such as contemptuous remarks about women being ill-suited for leadership or men having no place in childcare. Such actions constitute sexual harassment because they are sex-based, not because they are involve sexuality. Yes. So now that we understand some of the terminology and nuances about IPV, intimate partner violence, and SV, sexual violence, let's get back to the 2010 CDC report. Ten years ago, the Center for Disease and Control released an in-depth survey on sexual assault and intimate partner violence. They found alarming results, especially among lesbian, gay, and bisexual people. Note, there doesn't seem to be any information on the transgender community in that report. However, another was released five years later, which we will discuss later. The CDC found that 44% of lesbians and 61% of bisexual women experienced some form of IPV in their lifetime. And again, that's anything from physical violence, sexual violence, uh, harassment. This was in stark comparison to 35% of heterosexual women, which is still high in general. In addition, 44% of bisexual women have been raped in contrast to 17% of heterosexual women. And 22% of the bisexual women who were raped were violated by a partner or an ex-partner. For men, the numbers were not much better especially for bisexual men who reported that 37% had experienced IPV compared to 29% of heterosexual men. While gay men were the lowest to experience IPV at 26%, they were double heterosexual men in sexual violence that wasn't from a partner. 40% of gay men and 47% of bisexual men reported non-partner sexual violence compared to heterosexual men who polled at 21%. 
these statistics make it impossible for us to ignore what by erasure and prejudice has done to our community. The, bedil- the debilitating misconception that bisexual men sleep... That, sorry, that bisexual means. Oh. The debilitating misconception that bisexual... Sorry, I don't know why my spell check turns off and on. Like it turns on and then it just randomly turns off and then it turns back on again, Paul. I don't know. Fix it. I think you're just a little... Shut a little up. Start with debilitating. The debilitating misconception that bisexual means sleep with anyone has painted a target on the bisexual community's back. And the lack of funding, resources, and acceptance within our own communities has loaded the gun. We must become more vocal and active in supporting and validating our bisexual siblings. Yeah, it's just like it, it really does go back to that. The idea of, oh, you're bisexual, so you don't care what I do to you. Right. But it's, it's such a stupid stereotype, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And and it's even made even worse by like porn and, and films out there that, you know, it's all about every every bisexual wants to have a threesome. Why wouldn't they want to have a threesome? Right. That's why they're bisexual, right? It's mm-hmm. so ridiculous. Yep. And we every know that. Every single movie that there's a bisexual person in, I'm not going to say every single, but I will say most, <laughs> most, mainstream, mean, most mainstream movies where there's a bisexual person, that bisexual person is just having sex the whole movie just That's constantly all they're doing just sex sex even sex. if they're like saving the world they're like oh just shot that <laughs> alien time to fuck <laughs> exactly right it's like that's like it's not bisexual doesn't mean you have a higher sex drive it just means you're more open to who you have sex with that's all it means mm-hmm. and um and, and like we said in our community there's such biphobia of you know like we just shut out the bisexual community right because you're not gay enough or you're not queer enough or whatever it is you know i will say that in the show the 100 the main female character is bisexual and she only ever has sex with one person on screen i think yeah in right. like eight seasons. Well, that's good. So that's pretty good. That's good, you know, because they're just putting a realistic yeah. bisexual person that's mm-hmm. just like, uh, yeah, it's just... That's, that's just good for you, 100. <laughs> good that for show you. was pretty good. For not making it all about like all they do is mm-hmm. fuck. Um, anyways. Um, of course, it comes as a little surprise that which group has fared the worst in terms of SV and IPV. In 2015, the Transgender National Survey found that 47% of transgender people were sexually assaulted in their lifetime. That number rose dramatically among people of color, with indigenous Americans polling at 65%, multiracial people at 59%, Middle, East, Middle Eastern individuals at 58%, and black trans folks at 53%. If you listen to our November episode on transgender myths and misconceptions, we discussed the 22 black trans women be- murdered this year because they were trans. This is an epidemic that is sweeping our country, and the rise of hate crimes only adds to the terror queer people of color face. But the real question is, why are LGBTQ people so vulnerable to SV and IPV? The answer lies in the rampant homophobia, transphobia, and biphobia of our society. Do you see how it's just switching and turning on? Mm -hmm. I can't can't go back and read through all these scripts. I don't have time. (laughs) Let's break down what factors into sexual violence. For starters, despite the wealthy white people driving the hashtag MeToo movement, and we don't want to discredit the movement at all, merely use it as a discussion point, we know that they're not the most susceptible to violence. I just want to pause because that was a big thing that I found where folks are like, so that was just a, a, a criticism where we're talking about the faces of the Me Too women are these white, wealthy women. And and there's something to be said for using your voice to bring attention. And it's not to invalidate what these women have gone through at all in any way, shape or form. But it just talks about how like most of sexual violence happens against impoverished people of color or impoverished marginalized communities, you know, uh, you know, um, like the queer community. And so while that movement is important and it's powerful, um, it doesn't lend enough 
shed enough light on these communities that are ones that are really suffering, mm-hmm. that don't have the ability to bring their accusers to court because they don't have that power. They don't have that voice. They don't right. have the finances and resources to do that. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Mm-hmm. We know they're not um, in reality. In reality, impoverished, 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 yeah, impoverished, yeah. In reality, impoverished areas see the most sexual violence, and because of laws and social bias that keep queer people from equal employment and equal housing, many LGBTQ folks live in poverty. Legally, many states allow for open discrimination, and with the presidential administration that has shown no favor or consideration for the queer population, we cannot expect that to get better anytime soon. Yeah, so a lot of people don't understand that even if you have federal laws that protect you from discrimination, if the um, presidential administration does not back that, right? They then it doesn't just matter. just because it's there. If they're not, it's not enforced, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and it's it's always been a, a, a like a good thing and a bad thing. Like when Obama was president, he turned a blind eye. Like he made a, a like a it's not a declaration, but he put out a memo that said we're not going to enforce um, federally enforce anything about marijuana. You know, like mm-hmm. let the states handle it. We're not going to play a role in that. But Trump has essentially sent out the same thing of like, we're not going to federally force states to um, support anti-discrimination. And that's also why it's important for each state to have anti-discrimination laws Absolutely. that protect everyone. Because when you don't do that and you have an asshat as a president, you're no longer protected. And you're just constantly in this up and down of am I mm-hmm. protected or not? Right. So another dynamic that lends itself to this problem is the inability to find help or loss of trust in authority figures. A 2012 report by MS Green found that 78% of trans and non-binary children were harassed for their identity. 35% reported physical assault and 12% reported sexual violence. Returning to the 2010 CDC report, 48% of bisexual rape survivors reported their rape took place between the ages of 11 and 17. Obviously, this trauma as a young age opens the doorway to a lifetime of struggles. And when these abuses are reported and ignored, the trust and authority is justly invalidated, not to mention the fact that most of these people are abused by authority members. So this is further reinforced as the individual grows older. 85% of advocates surveyed reported they had worked with victims denied some kind of service because of their orientation or identity. One in five transgender people who has been incarcerated in a jail or detention center has been sexually assaulted by facility staff during their stay, which is right crazy. It's like you're probably already put in jail because of like a prejudice against mm-hmm. your identity, and then you're assaulted by the staff, not the people in there, the staff. Right. And 17% of trans and non-binary people who stayed at a shelter were assaulted because of their identity. As a whole, the queer community has had no reason to feel safe or protected. 20% of lesbians and 48% of bisexual women surveyed stated they felt unsafe and reported symptoms of PTSD. Our society claims progressiveness and acceptance, yet continues to allow for an unstable world for LGBTQ people. And I mean, when we go back to the fact that 61% of bisexual women have been had, have experienced some kind of IPV, or and the 48% that have experienced some kind of, um, or the 40, uh, whatever percent, that have presented uh, some kind of sexual violence, it's no wonder that there's such a high percentage of bisexual women that don't feel safe. I mean, of course, you have the intersecting identities of being a woman and being bisexual, mm-hmm. you know, and then throw in the fact that if they're a person of color and you're well, you just go fuck. fuck yeah. Them, right. With reliable resources out of the question and public officials or facility staff more hindrance than help, the queer community is ripe for violence. 
When we discussed non-partner violence, gay men and bisexual men reported being sexually assaulted at 40% and 47%. And this was in 2010, before the spike in hate crimes that rose in 2017. What happened then? I don't remember. I don't know. No. This speaks no doubt to internalized homophobia and the fear of being outed. Both the perpetrator and the victim face this problem which is not to excuse the aggressor in the slightest. We simply wonder what the world would be like if homosexuality was not a stigma. Instead, either through cruelty or fear, men will lure other men away and then assault them. The abused, who is already so broken, now must face being outed to the authorities and possibly others. Because of this, many gay and bisexual men do not report their SV. And again, we pause to add emphasis on biphobia, which is in both straight and the queer community. There are countless ways LGBTQ people face IPV and SV, but the reasons are always simple. Biphobia, transphobia, and homophobia. Until companies, institutions, universities, and state and federal departments issue training and enforce strict guidelines against bias, there will be no change. People must see that ignoring prejudice is killing queer and marginalized communities. We hear this statement often, yet we see little change. Every company needs a non-discrimination policy, and they need to actively enforce it. Experienced queer advocates need to be invited into facilities and businesses to train employees on LGBTQ issues. As a whole and individually, we have to stand up to the queer phobia running through our communities. We can fight this, but it starts with confronting our own biases. And I pull this every report or... um page that I looked at to the same thing like people are like how do we combat this well you got to stop the bias if you don't stop the bias if you don't train your staff to stop the bias if you don't train police departments and fire departments and federal employees to stop the bias it's going to keep going Mm -hmm. like until you address the phobias you don't change anything So your recommended resource is Forge.org, which is an organization dedicated to advocating for the trans community and providing educational resources. Their website is filled with resources that any group or company can use for training materials. So yes, it caters towards trans people a little bit, but literally they have PDF files that you can go on and you can download and you could use that for the queer community as a whole. It's just good information on how to deal with LGBTQ individuals. We've also linked the study um, the study compilation of Rotham, Exner, and Boffman, which deep dives into the various aspects of sexual violence. It's the very first resource on there. It's called Manuscript by Rotham, Exner, and Boffman. And this was the study that combined, I think it was 75 different studies over like the past several decades and, and brought the results out and like really showed here's what is happening in regards to sexual violence. And then they also had a whole section on what was happening to the LGBTQ community. Um, but so, yeah, so make sure to check it out. All those resources, there's a ton of resources on this uh, print, it's on this published script that you can go and you can check out. But forge.org is a really great one that I would suggest, especially if you own a business or a company or you work in a department where you can bring in some extra training to your people. And uh, before we end this episode, why don't you tell people how they can contact you if they want a mentor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you reach out to us, so if you're in a situation and you're struggling and you're like, I don't know how to get out of this, because we talked today about how queer people live in poverty. They are often um, find, have financial violence brought against them or they um, are kicked out of their homes, they're homeless and you need some help, we have our queer mentorship program. And if you are a young person, especially between the ages of 18 to 25, we are specifically trying to help you. We're also open to um, talking to people that are younger, but there's not a lot that we can do 
because, um, you know, legally there's not much that we can do. We can talk to people, but we can't do as much. But if you're a young person, especially in an environment that is unsupportive and you're worried, if I come out, I'm going to lose everything. Or if I'm outed, I'm going to lose everything. We have a queer mentorship program that puts you in touch with a local person who can help you get resources, help you get set up, get you to a shelter, find housing, find, um, you know, teach you how to apply for college, help you get a job. Um, there, that's what the mentor does is they help you at this transitional time. You are not alone. You do not have to experience this alone. So reach out to us, email us, contact us on any of our social media platforms, and we will put you in touch with a mentor that is ready to help you navigate this time. You don't have to do this alone. And if you want to help us in this endeavor, you can support us on our Patreon. So you can uh, help fund this program by going to patreon.com slash your queer story. Every dollar you donate goes back to the podcast and the mentorship program. Um, we've had a few new patrons join recently. We are close to another goal. If we hit that goal, you'll get to see a great little YouTube video of us yep. doing a challenge of your choice, um, which is just a fun little incentive. You know, everything you do really supports people who are in need. And a, even if you can only do a dollar or a few dollars a month, that adds up. And yeah. um, when our community comes together, we are stronger than we are individually. Yeah. So uh, stay queer. Don't get a little bottomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And our little succulent sapphists. And our proud homocrats. Have yourself a sodomy circus. Bye. Bye.